Hunter, what's going on right now? Getting shot at by single shot Freddy. Who's that? I have a feeling he's a blind Afghan man somewhere between the ages of 60 and 75 years old. And uh, he likes to scare the shit out of us with these single shots that he takes. He's been getting real close, so we're all hiding right now. How come you think he's blind? Well, he doesn't anything yet. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Longest War. This episode was recorded at a live veteran storytelling event at Seven Oaks Country Club in Beaver, Pennsylvania. We'll speak with Steve Bretain about how bad guys in Iraq always claimed it wasn't their house anytime weapons and explosives were found on the property by U.S. troops. We'll also speak with Gene Bradshaw about the hazards of having foreign nation fighter escorts as a navigator in a U.S. surveillance plane during the Gulf War. And we'll speak to Timmy Kellerman about his time as a combat engineer in Kunar Province, Afghanistan, building up the U.S. combat outpost in the Korangal Valley. All right, uh, thanks for coming out and joining us tonight, everybody. We are really excited about this evening's event. We've got some really great speakers lined up. We want to thank the Jefferson Regional Foundation and the Heinz Endowments. Uh, they're our big funders. If it weren't for them, we wouldn't be able to do this. We have a podcast. It's like a radio show, but on the internet. You can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. If you don't know what any of those things are or podcast is, this guy in the back here in the Navy sweater, he'll tell you all about it. He can give you step-by-step -step directions on how to find that stuff. You just grabbing a plate now, Todd? Yeah. Well, you're about to say some stuff, so you might want to eat quickly or set it down. If you're not signed up for our newsletter, if you don't receive it in the mail, please sign a registration slip with Betty before you leave, and we can get that to you. Our next event will be here December 6th at 8.30 a.m. here at Seven Oaks. Uh, we hope you can all make it out. We will have sixth graders there asking unique questions which is always fun. Todd, if you'd like to say a few words about upcoming trips. I'm Todd DePastino. I'm the director of the Veterans Breakfast Club. This is Nick Grimes. Thank you all for coming out this evening. I did want to just emphasize again that we do have a uh, morning program here on December 6th. Those are wonderful breakfasts. We usually get a wonderful crowd. When you add in 50 or 60 sixth graders, you know, it's 150, 160 people. And those sixth graders are amazing. They're smart, they listen, and when they come in, they're assigned to kind of sit at different tables, and they have little worksheets and a little pencil, and they interview or interrogate the veterans. They ask a bunch of questions, and I'm sure, Guy, I know they were surrounding you and asking you all kinds of questions. And then we have a program where, you know, we have the sixth graders stand up and then just ask a question to the room. It's amazing the stories that are prompted by these, you know, wonderful questions that the kids come up with. But I also wanted to pitch our, the VBC has, you know, these, we, have, we do about 60 of these events a year, 40 in the morning, about 20 in the evening, all throughout Western Pennsylvania. And next year, we're reintroducing something that we had been doing several years ago, and that is travel. We've done trips to Washington, D.C., to the World War II Museum in New Orleans, and um, we thought we would go big next year with two big trips. First, because it's the 50th anniversary of the Tet Offensive next year, so we thought we would do a trip to Vietnam. And right now, we have 18 committed people who are going on the trip with us. 
we still have about two weeks left before the, maybe less than 10 days uh, to get the deposit in. I've been twisting Bill Silver's <laughs> arm here. I told him I promised him would get him to Tam Key, the village where you were in the Marine Cap program in Vietnam. And that's the idea is we'd love veterans to come back with us. Non-veterans are coming too. You know, we're gonna see a lot of non-war oriented sites and the beach and all that kind of stuff. But we really do want to, you know, if Bill does come, uh, we'll make sure that we go to the places where Bill served and he could kind of show us and tell us about his service. So if you're interested in that, let me know. In the fall, we're decided we're going to do a same kind of trip except to Europe. Two-week trip from Normandy to Birch's Garden and everywhere in between. We'll have World War II vets coming with us. So most of our stops will be oriented for, you know, the World War II history areas. So let me know if you're interested in either one of those things. We'd love to have you join us. You don't need to be a veteran to join us. Please do join us. So yeah, please do come to any of our events and uh, thank you for coming out tonight. And I'm very much looking forward to the stories being told tonight. And we'll talk about this later. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> Next up, we have Kevin, the muscle of the organization. Kevin, where are you at? There you are. Lauren always likes to refer to this picture as the Battle of the Bulge. Oh, here we go with the short jokes. <laughs> I do like these shorts, though. I mean, they're pretty nice. You I'm still got them? I know, but I'm looking for a pair. I'm going to wear them some night. I think we got some folks here that uh, can sew a pair together for you. <laughs> Just six inches by four inches by three inches, right? My, my dad was sitting around the other day, and he actually has a pair of pajamas like that. And I said, I'll, I'll get those. Are they that them. short? <laughs> no, they're, but they're, they're blue striped just like that. You want to tell everybody about uh, the rules for speaking and recording and all that yes, fun stuff? Yes, the rules. So you'll notice that um, there are some microphones in the room. I have one. Nick has one. Uh, Nick has two over there. Actually, there are some uh, room mics. We are recording this tonight so we can preserve these stories, which are really, really important, right? This is about history. And so whether these stories are tonight are five minutes or 10 minutes or however long they are, they matter. And we're going to be taking some photographs, too, so you'll see the flash going off. And don't mind me pointing the camera in your direction because this stuff is important and we want to pass these on these stories on to future generations so if you get the microphone uh, we want to make sure that you sound good because if you sound good we sound good right as audio professionals so hold the mic kind of firmly hold it up and point it at your chin because if you hold it down here and you talk like this no one's going to be able to hear you right so we want to make sure that you get on the mic everyone can hear you in the room and we can also hear you in that big contraption over there in the corner not dave but all that gear over there and this is dave hadawiko who's uh helped running the soundboard over there tonight so i really look forward to uh hearing the stories tonight and i'm so glad to see i was about to say uh, so many old faces i'll say so many familiar faces so seasoned, so glad to see seasoned, seasoned faces. faces yes thank you thanks kev uh, Lauren, she's sick. She's our other staff member. She couldn't be here tonight. She's the newest one, so she's the rookie. I, obviously, am the looks of the organization. <laughs> Daryl Jerome, our sponsor tonight. I just thank everybody for coming tonight. Yeah, my local company is uh, Beaver Financial Group. I'm a New York Life agent. I've been doing this since I retired uh, from the Air Force in 2004. Uh, moved back here to Western PA about 10 years ago, just to be closer to family. Grew up in Elwood City. Actually, I went to school with Guy Prestia's, uh, some of his kids. So uh, nice to have that have that connection. Actually, I was able to bring my kids, my 
two oldest children go to PA Cyber for high school. And Mr. Prestia came to their office in Wexford a couple weeks ago, and they had a special presentation where he was able to share his his history with a room. It was stand, literally standing room only at the learning center there and off of Route 19. And he was able to share that history with them. So they were, they were enthralled to say the least. So I've been working as a financial advisor, like I said, for the last 14 years. I help people. My youngest client literally is a newborn. Um, my oldest client is 96 years old. I, I pretty much work with all sorts of different backgrounds. I do a lot of retirement work for people investments and insurance. Uh, I have some brochures here. I have a Facebook page, uh, obviously the website. Uh, if you've ever wanted to sit down with somebody, uh, have any financial questions that you need answered, I would love the opportunity to see if I could help you with that. So thanks for sponsoring us, but I think you have some bad food. Who's this answer? Yeah, that's me at a very, very young age, back when I actually had hair. <laughs> so yeah, that's my, the photo on the left is basic training, graduation photo. I always say I've seen hostages that look probably happier than I do in that photo. But <laughs> how old were you at that time? I was 18. I was 18 and four months. And 18. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just finishing up basic training in Lackland. And then the photo on the right is my word ceremony in Naples, Italy. I was at a NATO base in Naples for two years. I'll tell you what, you get Air Force guys, you get all the terrible assignments, huh? Eight, eight years in Italy. So somebody had to do it. So yeah. <laughs> you took one for the country, Yes, right? took one for the country. So yeah, but actually Naples, for anybody who's been, well, guy obviously was there in much worse conditions than I saw it, <laughs> but Naples was a pretty rough assignment. Actually, the general on the, on the left there with me, General Callahan, actually said he preferred his two tours in Vietnam over living in Naples, Italy. It was, it was a pretty rough area but yeah two years there and then six years uh northern italy so yeah it was uh <laughs> but yeah i joined the air force and spent actually two years there in naples which was supported by the navy and then four years at bethesda uh, at the navy hospital so even though as air force i did a lot of uh joint assignments so so two questions for you before i'll let you sit back down and enjoy the rest of your food What's the thing you love the most about the Air Force? And obviously, what's the thing you, I don't want to say hated the most, let's just say loved the least. The most, just meeting so many different people. So coming from Elwood City and, and coming from a small town, to be able to go into the service and just meet people from just so many different backgrounds, and then just the opportunity to travel uh, was, was really nice. So yeah, just, just the people and, and being able to serve with people from all sorts of different backgrounds, but having a common mission that was that was probably the, the nicest thing. Least liked? Basic training, yeah. <laughs> Which wasn't bad. It was six weeks. And compared to people who've been in, through like Marine Corps or Army basic Air Forces, we're teased and called the Chair Force for a reason. It's pretty simple. So You hear that, Air Force guys? Don't try to deny it later on. <laughs> One of your own just said it. Yeah, we uh, our PT, the very first time that I did PT, after being there for two weeks, we did... Four push-ups, four sit-ups, and we ran a quarter of a mile. And that, that literally was, and we literally had people that were like, oh, I can't, like, wiping the sweat on their <laughs> So that was, that was it. It was, it was pretty cush. So, yeah. I'm filing that away. I will never forget that now. Now, I think it's much harder than that. Ah, uh, yeah, they all say that. that. It's got to be yeah, worse now. Yeah, it's probably worse now. But back then, it was, yeah, four, it was, yeah, four hard ones. Yeah. By the book, right? Yeah, by the book, yeah. Nice. <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, pretty pretty easy. So, well, but all Darryl, all, thanks so much. I appreciate you sharing with yeah, us. Yeah, thank you. For
before we get to Gene, Larry. Larry, you have an announcement you'd like to make. You can, as long as they're not curse words. Todd doesn't like that. No, they won't be talking about you. Those that don't know me, I'm honored to be the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America. Each year, we have what's called a Tet Party Reunion. Those words sound a little uh, odd because Tet was, of course, not a party for anybody that was over there. But what we do is we honor the 73 members of uh, Vietnam that were killed in action from Beaver County and another 11 that were killed in action after 9-11. So we honor them for the first hour and then uh, have a nice buffet dinner that the Fez puts on. I have one flyer. We'll have more later. You can also soon get on our website, vva862.org, that this gentleman right here drinking the beer takes care of our website. We'll have it on there. But I'll have more information. It's three months from now. We just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up, and we'll have more information later. But, Nick, if I could uh, mention something, if we've got a minute. Sure. As you brought up at the next breakfast, there'll be some... Uh, are they seventh and eighth grade? What year are they? Sixth graders. Sixth graders come, and they do ask some really good questions. Last week, several of us went to Riverside High School. Uh, Lee was there and a few others, and the students put on a, a presentation to honor four Vietnam veterans that were killed during the war, primarily from 1968, 66, I think it was, to 1970. And they're on the memorial out in Beaver and, of course, on the wall down in Washington, D.C. But they put on a nice show. I will not say a show, but a nice, uh, respectful uh, presentation. And then, uh, again, a few of us went to the New Brighton Middle School and talked to the children there. And the questions they asked, as Nick was saying, were, were really amazingly advanced questions. It wasn't... Uh, the questions you'd think that someone that age would do. So this one that Nick talked about, definitely you should go. And if I could, Nick, something happened to me just this afternoon. And this is, I think, on positive side. I have three boys. The youngest lives in Chicago on the north side of Chicago. I have three grandchildren there, the middle one a girl, and she's six years old. She, I called tonight because we're going to go up there for Thanksgiving on Tuesday and come back on Sunday. And she got on the phone just this afternoon and said, Oh, they're um, Polish. Anybody Polish here? I think it's Bosha. Bosha, Larry. Is that Uncle? I mean, uh, I think it's Bosha. Is that the word? But anyway, in Polish, <laughs> in Polish, she said my name. And <laughs> whatever. I'm, I can barely speak English. Uh, anyway, and so I said, yeah, what is it? She says, are you a veteran? And I said, yes, I am. And then she said, when is the real Veterans Day? And I said, it was last Saturday. And then she went on to continue to ask, six years old, ask me questions about the Army. Was I in the Army? No, I was in the Air Force. It took her a while, but she finally did. And she's continuing to ask me questions. The reason I bring it up, as Nick did, and I, I wasn't going to speak about this tonight, is I believe now, finally, from Vietnam after 50 years, they're starting to talk to the children about veterans and I nearly came to tears this afternoon my, my, my six-year-old uh, granddaughter is asking me questions about my service so I, I didn't again I didn't mean to take up your time Nick but I thought that was really really neat we might be doing something right and this thing that Todd and Nick do and everybody else means something and because of them people are starting to recognize veterans so thank you Todd thank you Nick
Okay, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, first, uh, did you struggle with your four push-ups? <laughs> well, I... I <laughs> it That's took, true, officers only do two push-ups. I was push-ups. in the Air Force for 21 years. It took me 21 years to put this weight on. I was 160 pounds. I don't know what a push-up is, but I guess I've heard about these things. I did. I was able to run the quarter mile. I had no problem running that one quarter mile. Uh, you know, I don't know what, what everybody else did. But uh, Second I, I question no for you. Uh, who, your party that you're having in February, who's your speaker for that? Well, you know, we searched around. We usually don't have a speaker, uh, but I searched around a little bit and I uh, couldn't find anybody. So we got Todd. <laughs> really scraping the bottom of the barrel for speakers here, guys. If we haven't heard Todd speak, it's nothing to write home about. Now, I'll be serious. We have 800 members in our chapter at our meetings. We have 100 and 140 people come to our meetings. Unanimously, everybody wanted Todd to come talk on the 50th anniversary of not only a 50th anniversary celebration that the country's doing for veterans, finally, but the 50th anniversary of the Tet Offensive. And we thought no one better than Todd could talk the historical events. Uh, for that. So, Todd, thank you for accepting that. So, I invite you to come. These tickets sell out completely. There's only 500 seats in uh, Fez. Uh, we have some complimentary uh, tickets for Gold Star Mothers. If you know what that is, we can talk about it later. A mother that's lost someone and uh, some other folks, like uh, a few guests. But So, it'll be about 525 people, but there's 500 seats. And those tickets sell out every year so if you think i'll have more information later we'll have them at the breakfast clubs we'll have them online we don't have any tickets right now they're being printed but we'll get them to you if you're interested in coming it should be a nice event and i guarantee todd will do a great job thank you i wouldn't guarantee it but there's a decent chance he may do a good job it's true gene Good evening. My name is Gene Bradshaw. I'm here representing Corporate America Supports You. Uh, it's an organization, nonprofit, that has memorandums of understanding with all four services, the National Guard. And what we try to do is help uh, veterans that are in transition, looking for some help with uh, resumes, interviewing skills, uh, wanting to look for that next job. So if they're even if they're working and they want something a little bit different, we can help coach and mentor them through that process. Uh, we work with corporations as well, so if you know any corporations that want to hire vets, we can get them involved with a couple of job boards that we have and help find vets here. And I'm here specifically for Southwest PA, but we are a national organization, so we can go anywhere in the country. Who's this uh, handsome cat? We're going to start. Wow. Yeah, that would be so, me, I think. Were you in the Navy or are you one of the village people? <laughs> in the Navy. <laughs> Yeah, good start. Yeah, yeah wait till you have the crayon eaters for sure. Yeah, so oddball, Navy, but I flew aircraft or was a navigator. You, Fancy uh, name for us was a naval flight officer or NFO. You're what, 6'3"? Yeah, 6'3". What are you about? Two. About 190 pounds in that? Uh, probably 220. 220, you could put up a fight I, back yeah, in those days, sure. huh? A little bit. A little bit? Although I didn't like the obstacle course that we had to do. How long did it take you to do your four push-ups in the Navy? Well, I had to do 12. 12. <laughs> All right. And now we're 30 sit-ups. 30 sit-ups. Uh-huh. How many quarters of miles did you have to run? 12. 
three miles. Three, three miles. Yeah, we had to do. Hear three that, miles. guys? Hear that, Air Force guys? Mm-hmm. They had three whole miles. Yeah. <laughs> What's it take? Like twenty minutes to do that? Well, I was a little longer than twenty minutes. <laughs> you were six three. I, I was six you, three. Give you some uh, so leeway on that. Ferry Conron One was my first operational squadron, and then I went to the old buzzards uh, on the East Coast for my second operational tour at the end there. So hit the next slide. So 85, though, that's when 85. you joined. I was born, I was two months old when you joined. Yeah, okay. Uh, just Thank for you. reference. Mm-hmm. I knew we were going to go there I didn't eventually. know they didn't have colored pictures back in 1985. Well, <laughs> you know, the, the, the government, it spends a lot of money on, on high-quality photos, right? So this is even a film. You know what film is? I've heard of it. It's uh-huh. like a picture, you know, but cellulose, like clear, right? It's you a hold little up strip. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like uh, my grandpa used to have one of those, and it would spin on a wheel real fast. It's like a yes. movie. Yeah, it's and weird. And you were asking me for photos, and I actually found the slide carousel of actual slides, and I didn't go there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks for going to all that uh, hard work yeah, just for sure. some pictures problem. for me. All right, so this is this is my token Navy picture, a little Navy humor, holiday humor, since we're getting close to to Christmas. So for those of you that might not know what that is, that's a phalanx on the side of a ship dressed up as a Santa Claus. A phalanx is a close-in weapon support system Gatling gun that shoots 6,000 rounds a minute or something crazy like that. So it's when you really want to deliver gifts to people. Exactly. You use that. And it, and it sounds like a big burp yeah. when it goes. That's pretty cool. Did you ever shoot that thing? I did not. I've heard oh. it go, but no. What did you do? What was your job again? I was a navigator. How do you do that? Is it like a sextant? Is that what you use? I used the sextant on an airplane going 300 miles an hour. I figured out tough? what I figured it, it was interesting. Yeah? Yeah. So we would actually do star shots and triangulate and figure out where we were located just based on the stars, just like the ships would do. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Does your, stop, does your job still exist in the Navy? I think so. Air Force, not so much anymore, from from my understanding, because they were phasing it out when I got out. But uh, I, I think the Navy, you know, now we have a follow-on airplane to the plane I'll show you. But, you know, I think they're still using it. Huh. The EP-3 Ares aircraft. It's an old P-3 or Lockheed Electra. If you, for a civilian, you know, they fixed the wings after they stopped falling off. We affectionately call this the Sky Pig. This is the Navy version of an RC-135. So I did electronic reconnaissance. Yep. So we had two roles. We had a strategic reconnaissance, and we have some battle group support or indications and warnings is what I did. So, Which yeah. seat did you sit in? In the front? In the back? Um, Where were you? Well, you see the little window behind the cockpit, the little round window? Is that where you're looking with your sextant through there? No. Actually, a sextant's on the top knob up just above the cockpit there. But I sat somewhere in that area. So, you know, if we lost the propeller, I would have to duck. So what is, uh, so like uh, you're in the air for three hours. What are you doing Uh, most of that time? 10 to 12 hours. 10 to 12 hours. 10 to 12 hours. What are you doing? So we would fly uh, strategic electronic reconnaissance off the coast of countries in international airspace and try to figure out what they were doing. So you're picking up their radio communications and all that stuff. We were, yes. From zero. No, or reconnaissance missions. Sure. What? Semantics. Okay. And what countries? Pretty much anything in Southeast Asia. So I was stationed on Guam for four years. So I would debt out of uh, Japan, and we'd fly in the Sea of Japan, um, 
you know, against uh, the R Russians and, you know, kind of to bring it into current events, uh, we, we poke at North Korea every so often. And actually, our squadron lost an airplane to North Korea back in 69. They shot it down. So, so you would intercept whatever, and then you would relay it somewhere? Yeah, and we'd talk to people. Because you guys don't speak the languages of everything you're picking up, or do you? No, we don't. Okay. <laughs> Just to be sure. So that goes somewhere else, and then there's yeah. nerds like Todd that are sitting there like writing it down. Well, Calligraphy, whatever you call that stuff. Penmanship, I don't know. And we would, you know, and we would figure out what ships were coming out of port based on uh, the array of radars that we were picking up. So, you know, vintage, you know, and we were in Vietnam, but lines of sight, line of bearings, uh, figure out locations and that kind of stuff. So fun stuff, fun stuff. Did Southeast, then things started heating up with uh, Saddam. I uh, had an opportunity to get involved in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. So this is my crew and my plane. We started, you know, having some fun with uh, nose art. And I'm pretty sure I'm the big guy on the end yeah. on the right. So that was Bahrain in late 90, early 91. And, you know, we lived the rough life, lived in a hotel. Looks pretty austere. Yeah, uh, it was pretty rough going. But the fun part was with that was that you kind of had to look under your van every morning to make sure there wasn't any presence, you know. So we finally got to the threat cons where we had to watch. So... And what, what year was this? 91. So 91, what Early is that? 91. 26 years ago? Yeah. So. And now your son is in Bahrain? Yeah. So I have a son cool. that's active duty and, and he's in Bahrain. So he, he's uh, working on, on, on the ship side, on the port side. He's doing port interdiction uh, in a little 25-foot boat and has to shoot the terrorists if they want to come blow up our ships. So Worst jobs to have, certainly. There are. So this is just a picture of the coast. So you go from, you know, civilization to Bahrain's, you know, terrain. So that's why I put that picture in there just real quick to show you how austere it was. And this is the flight line. So just some miscellaneous pictures because I love airplanes, you know, so why wouldn't I? So go ahead and flick through those. That's, I think, a Nimrod. We had a lot of Brits uh, at the airport that we flew out of. And, you know, they'd go out on a sortie during Desert Storm, come back all beat up. So, Is that guy, like, peeing on the ground? What is he doing? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't know. Like, they told us, they would yell at us if we'd pee on the flight line. Well, so. we, no, I don't think he's doing that. Was but, it same kind of but, plane? But, but you're funny that you bring that up because that was kind of one of my pseudo stories. Because one of the things going along at this time was... Uh, we were the first squadron to have female pilots and, and navigators. So, you know, this was, and we were considered a combat squadron. So we were one of the first to have those in the integration. Now, you would think with the $36 million airplane, you'd have a, a working toilet, you know, but we didn't. No, it was more of a latrine. Okay, and so being up for 10, 12 hours, there's some logistical issues that we had to work through. And, you know, other firsts is we're, we're now trying to be healthier. So they, they said we all had to stop smoking. Not that I smoked, but my pilot, Mission Command, you know, his nickname was Chooch because he was a choo-choo train smoking every, you know. So figured ten, they get a little testy after a few oh, yeah. hours, not, not in getting their nicotine. So, so is this the same kind of plane in Bahrain that you were flying? Yes. What Just are those? Those, I th like fighters? 
Yeah, they're fighters. So those are tornadoes, British tornadoes. And I think uh, the one on the, on the left, you could see, I think has some battle damage. And then this is our battle damage. So continuing the, the history of my squadron, back in 2001, we had a little skirmish with the Chinese. And this P3 was on the losing end of that skirmish. So if you remember, then there was a crash landing on Hainan Island in VQ-1. My squadron was the squadron that was involved in that. So they had to do a forced landing because, you know, we get escorted when we're out in international airspace. And, you know, my younger days, we would get thumped every so often by an aircraft. So that was always fun. So funny that you would ask, Todd. On occasion, would have a MiG-25 come up underneath us and then come up in front of us basically disrupts our airflow and we would drop hmm, 1500 200 feet or 2000 feet in like that so kind of a similar situation so you know to avoid that and that's scary right well, it sounds very very yeah, scary yeah it could to be just scary. fall 2000 mm -hmm. feet unexpectedly yeah, mm -hmm. it doesn't help the airframes and stuff like that so, of course, you know, we had gentlemen agreements and all that kind of stuff, but we would get escorted and sometimes they would come in a little close, like feet from the wings, sometimes inside the wingspan of the aircraft. And what the pil our pilots like to do was back off on the speed because, of course, we're big, fat and slow, prop plane, yeah. sleek jet, right? They can only go so slow and probably... You know, if they go too slow, then they lose their ability to lift and control and they fall and then they have to recover. So I'm guessing something along those lines, you know, we're straight and level, probably easing up, not paying attention. And it fell into, I think it took out the props and, and of course the nose. So losing the nose and a couple of engines isn't too good for flying. So that's why they've, they landed in Heinen Island. That sounds pretty scary that's my too. Guess. That's your guess? I was not there. Oh. This was after, after me. So it's not your fault. It's no, what it's not my what fault. you're trying to nope. get at explicitly. It's my best in-game analysis. And this is just a picture of the type of airplane that, that was escorting them, I think. And who's flying that airplane? The those escort? are the Chinese. That's mm -hmm. Ch Chinese J-8, I think. How'd you communicate with those guys? Hand signals? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. That'll get her done. And then this is my done picture. So as much fun and, and danger that there was, we also had some, some great views on occasion. I remember one of the comets went through. We were able to watch that up in the, while we were flying and that kind of stuff. So there's always good with the bad. Two quick questions. Favorite thing about the Navy, least favorite thing about the Navy? Favorite thing about the Navy is I got to travel and fly, which was my boy, boyhood dream and support the, the mission in the United States. I loved what I did. Seriously, if they were to say, hey, come back, I'd be there in a heartbeat. I like doing this. Least and favorite. Least favorite? You can be honest, you're amongst friends. Running. Running three miles? Uh-huh. That's a lot farther than gravity, a quarter mile, man. Me and gravity have an understanding, and it's, it's not always going the same way. Well, Gene, thanks so much for sharing, man. You're I really welcome. appreciate it. Thank brother. you. like to give Andy Zedek an opportunity to say a few words. He's been instrumental in uh, getting VBC events held here at Seven Oaks in Beaver County. So we'd just like him to say a couple of words for us quickly. 
On behalf of the uh, parent corporation, the GCU, in District 15 of the GCU, we would like to present to the Veterans Breakfast Club a check for 300 bucks. Well, thank you, you so much. The other thing is that we appreciate that you come here and tell these stories, and I'll tell you, I'm here when the sixth graders come, and I'll tell you what, the principal was walking around, and he was worried about the behavior. I says, look, you don't have to worry about these kids. Look at their faces. Everyone was always glued to the speaker. So the Veterans Breakfast Club, I thank you very much for coming and using the facilities at Seven Oaks. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. So, Steve, this is you in, uh, what year is this? 1975. 1975, and you look suspicious. What are you doing here? I'm uh, rifling through the sea rats trying to find a, <laughs> an extra. You guys did that back then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, yeah, we, we didn't call it what you called it. We had a worse word for it. But, yeah, we do the same thing. We'd find all the goodies. Well, the company present here will uh, we'll alleviate that. Sure. Trying to find peanut butter, jelly, or pound cake, whatever might be left in there. They had pound cake back then, too? That pound oh, cake is. It was better back then. So, no. Pound cake and peaches. Peaches? Yeah. I don't know about eating peaches out of MRE, man. That sounds suspect. Uh, that's, a, on your... that's a sea rat. <laughs> no way. So this is not 1975. No, that's 2005 there. 2005. So this is... In uh, Habania, Iraq. What was your job and what was your responsibility at this point? Uh, our battalion was responsible for the 15 kilometers of uh, MSR Michigan, which connected uh, Fallujah and Ramadi. Altakatum Air Base uh, was the main transport logistical hub for all of uh, Al-Anbar province. Uh, everything flew into there and then got transported through all the, uh, the whole province. Uh, a lot of logistics traffic up MSR Michigan into Ramadi. And so we just uh, tried to keep it clear of uh, IEDs so they didn't get hit. So counter IED patrol, basically, what you're doing? Uh, well, at any one time, they had at least two uh, Bradleys and two Abrams tanks uh, on the MSR at any one time, patrolling back and forth. Those guys got really good at spotting IEDs. Uh, when we first got there, they found you know, you know, most of the IEDs they found after they blew up on them. After a little while, they, got, they knew every little bit of trash that was that was in that whole stretch. And if something new popped up and was suspicious, they got really good at uh, finding them. What uh, we did was patrol off the MSR in the villages and do coordinate searches and raids and things like that. On What was your MOS? Uh, 11 Bravo, 0311, whatever you want to call it, infantry. And what rank were you at the, this time? E7. So you were a platoon sergeant. Yeah. And uh, uh, some of our allies there, Iraqi Army. Towards the end of the tour, my art tour there, uh, they were trying to get the, the Iraqi army uh, up to speed, and we started patrolling more with them. In the beginning, we did it mostly ourselves, but uh, on towards the end, we did a lot of patrols with them. And they handled most, most of the civilians and, and things like that, and we just kind of provided overwatch and stuff like that for them. How up to speed were they when you left? <laughs> they don't look too terribly up to speed right here, to be honest. The, <laughs> have you ever heard of the Death Star? Yes. Okay. If you ever got in a firefight and the Iraqi army was around, you wanted to be in the middle because they shot in 360 degrees and it didn't matter who was in front of them or beside them. They just shot. And so the best Eyes place closed to be or in between. Open doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No yeah. preference. So if you weren't in the middle, at least try and be in a vehicle or something because they were shooting somebody. 
Uh, that's just along the Euphrates River there. I figured if I went all the way to Iraq, I might as well stick my foot in the, in the Euphrates River. So, Did you catch anything? Uh, no. <laughs> that's just kind of an idea of what the area was we were like. It went from along the river there. It was a lot of uh, uh, cultivating. Uh, they grew a lot of food and dates and stuff like that. And we had a lot of little villages uh, along the MSR, and that's just typical inside one of the one of the towns, one of the little villages there. And you guys, these are like the streets you would patrol just back in yeah. looking for riffraff. Uh, yeah, typically or we would, if we're doing a coordinate search, which was we, what we did most of the time, park a vehicle on in the each corner of the area where we were going to do, and they'd overwatch us while we patrol in the middle and search everybody. Again, that's our illustrious allies there. Um, we're providing overwatch for them. They're doing a vehicle checkpoint. Are those uh, official Iraqi combat fighting positions? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> the random squat and the random stand. Uh, yeah, they pretty much did every whatever they felt like. <laughs> We've got a video of an Afghan guy doing the same thing, so it's very similar. You tell them to do something, they're like, got it. And then they just do whatever they want anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's just getting ready to go out on one of, the, one of our patrols there. Is this at your base? Or is this like middle of the desert like i said that that's we went from from lush date palms and palm trees and stuff into the urban area and then on the other side of the msr it was desert where we uh, picked up the iraqis at was uh, the old ammunition dump supply dump next to al-qaeda and that's where they were stationed at so we drive over there and pick them up and that's just you drive through there and it's all bunkers that were uh, bombed during the initial invasion holes and bunkers and there's still uh, pieces of artillery rounds that were scattered all over the place you know, out there and stuff and it looks like that's uh some of that good old first generation humvee armor that's only about a quarter inch thick and yeah that's uh, basically uh, pointless right 11 14 or 10, you know, 11 14 right there so that was the yeah the first one that came out I gotta say, my sergeant major, if he saw this picture he would be screaming at you why your chin strap is not buckled well i'm not out on patrol yet that's no excuse. <laughs> uh, we're just uh, wrapping up a patrol there, and everybody, you know, the, all the civilians, they go about their daily life. You know, when you go by, they might stop and watch, watch you, just like the circus come to town, you know, <laughs> see what's, uh, watch what you're doing. Uh, they're just continuing on playing a soccer game there. Again, some of our allies there in their little hasty fighting position there while we're on patrol. I got to say, this guy's got great muzzle awareness just pointing <laughs> it right at his body. <laughs> Did you experience any, um, I don't know what you call it, it's green on green when it's us, but Iraqi on Iraqi accidental discharges? Uh, not with us, no. Not when we were with them, no. Well, it certainly happened when you weren't. What's this cool little treasure trove? Uh, that's the back of a, one of the EOD vehicle, vehicles uh, after one of their, just a day at work for them. Are those all wired together? No, that's the deck cord that's just going through there. I think. Oh, okay. I don't think they're all together. So that'd be uh, a nasty day for somebody. Yeah. Uh, oh, this guy. I love this guy. Uh, we were doing a, doing a search, walked up to the house. He's sitting out front with three women. Say, we're going to go in and look. This is not my house. No, I don't, I don't live here. I don't live here. I live next door. I live over here. So, okay, do you have any weapons? No, no, la, la, la. No, 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 no weapons. So we go in, looking around. Uh, one of the first things we find is an industrial strength uh, photocopier in the back that has anti-coalition uh, propaganda already on it getting ready to print or has printed look a little bit more find a rifle stuck in the in the, one of the closets and go out and show him he's like oh, really 
How'd that get there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not my house. Yeah. You know, uh, once you catch them in one lie, then you look a little bit deeper and, you know, find some more stuff. And so we're just, uh, the interpreter's there and my platoon leader's standing there talking to him. He's denying everything. It was, it was funny. He'd stand up and one of the biggest guy in my platoon, he was a grappler in civilian life. He'd just like push him down. He'd stand back up, push him down. And he stood up once, one too many times. He just choked him out. So he's laying there. And he woke up finally, and we detained him. And he says, she's not going. So, you know, we zip-tied him. And my guy just picked him up, threw him up over his shoulder. And he's walking out the compound with him. He's kicking his legs like this, you know, still they fighting. Live it, here, man. It, you know, and they don't have, like, a driver's license. You can't ask them to check, <laughs> see what their home of record is, right? No. You just got to take their word for it. This, what's uh? Uh, well, that your was, soldiers almost we, drowning. Uh, we were doing a, a long patrol out in one of the uh, rural areas there, looking for caches because uh, they would bring them across the the Euphrates. Because on the north side of the Euphrates, there was really no uh, coalition presence at the time, so they would ferry it all over at night uh, over to the south side and then bury it in the weeds or along the shore of the river there. So we were out all day, you know, looking for caches. And we're coming back, and he just said, I'm hot and tired. Watch this. And then, <laughs> he just jumped in, gave everybody a little little chuckle there, a little levity. And then he goes straight to the medic for all sorts of uh, typhus <laughs> and bubonic plague and all the other stuff that's in the uh, He went the completely there. underwater, so it was, it was pretty good. We enjoyed it. Everybody appreciated it. Ah, uh, another guy who doesn't no, live there, guy, right? Yeah, because yeah, your first question, any, any weapons? No. If they say no, you know they're probably a bad guy because everybody's allowed one. And in this case, we had some engineers along with us, and they were you know, swept as, I guess you could call it a guard, just a big uh, mud flat there. But they got a couple hits and dug up this, an old uh, G3 AK, that uh, wooden crate there is uh, a box of 7.92 short ammo, which with the STG 44s and MP44s from World War II, why do you have this? You can't shoot this. He said, well, I don't live here because I'm a neighbor. Uh, well, I don't he, know why this is here, he right? Said, uh, he, he got that when he was uh, in the Iraqi army during the uh, Iran-Iraq war, and he picked it up in, in Iraq, or in Iran, and he thought it would fit. His, and so he brought it back. So Now he's stuck with it. Did you have to detain him as well? Oh, yeah, of course. But, so uh, if you went to him and you were like, you got any guns? They're like, of course I've got guns. This is Iraq. And they were like, brought him out to you. Then you're just like, all right, see you guys later. Yeah, they were allowed one uh, per military age male in the household. And they'd always say, oh, for Alibaba, for Alibaba, you know, <laughs> you know, to keep the bad guy away, you know, keep Alibaba away. But if they denied everything, you could usually find one really buried in there someplace. But this guy, uh, you can't really tell it there, but he had some uh, plastic explosives uh, that they found too, like some Simtex or something like that. And we said, what do you have this for? He said, oh. Um, I, it's my friend. <laughs> I, I keep it for my friend. Okay. It's like uh, weed. You're just holding yeah. it for somebody else, right? Yeah. I was like, okay. Well, what does your friend have this for? Uh, to fish with. He used it to fish in the, in the river. Okay. Well, why are you keeping it? Uh, I just holding it for him, keeping it for him. Well, why is it buried? Uh, <laughs> he just when, when you could go on and on, but uh, so they had yeah, an answer for everything. Uh, yeah, really, everything. So yeah, he he went with us too. In my platoon, uh, we had uh, 13 guys that were wounded, 
And we had three in this vehicle here that uh, got wounded and two of them were evacuated. You can see in the, the driver's wind, windshield there, it uh, penetrated through the windshield and hit the driver. Right there? Yeah. It's a pretty nasty blast. What was it? Uh, uh, was well, it one of the EFPs or was it just? I'm not sure what it was because it uh, completely pulverized the uh, Texas barrier that was on the side of the road. We, we think they came up through the, through the weeds and put it behind the Texas barrier. And I was actually on the OP watching them leave when it went off. After it was done, there was nothing, just chunks of Texas barrier left. And the Texas barrier, if you don't know, everybody knows what the Jersey barrier is, right? The Texas barrier is about 10 feet tall, same about thing. two and a half, three feet of yeah. reinforced concrete. Right. That takes quite a blast to go through that and do that damage to the yeah. vehicle on the other side. Yeah. Uh, that was another one of our vehicles that got hit. My Same blast or a different? No, that was a different one. I think we'd been there for about two or three weeks, and they were going out on a leader's reconnaissance for uh, one of our patrols. And my friend was sitting in, in uh, the rear seat there on that. And I, I think there's another picture there that shows the inside of the, of the vehicle. That's the, the, the guy from the first vehicle. He was the driver. He got hit in the head and evacuated, and they had to take off part of his skull there so the swelling wouldn't kill him. And then he got a prosthetic you know, skull, you know, you know, put in place there once the swelling went down. How's he doing now? Uh, he had a lot of problems. They just got married right before they deployed, and they were together for a while when they got back, but he had some substance abuse problems afterwards, but I think he's better now. He's on the right track. He's starting to get back on, you know, contacting some of the guys again. Uh, so I think he's doing better now. How old was he when he was injured? He was probably 20. And how old were you as a platoon sergeant? I was 49 there. What's the kind of pressure you felt on your shoulders of responsibility of watching out for what are in essence? I mean, let's be honest, when you're 20, you're stupid, right? Like we were all stupid 20-year-olds. I would certainly fit in that category. You got a lot of these stupid guys doing stupid stuff, and you got to kind of like be a dad and a babysitter and a protector. Like how, how, how heavy does that weigh on you while you're over there? It's... I think before when we were training up, it was harder because you're trying to think of all the different things. What can I teach them? What can I show them? You know, to so they can do the right thing. You know, when they get there. And then once we get there, it's just it's kind of out of your hands. You just hope for the best. You know, hope you train them up well, did everything you could, and uh, just be there for them whenever you know something did happen. So. Same two questions I'll ask everybody else. Favorite thing about the Army, least favorite thing about the Army? All the places I went to get, went to see, went to a lot of different places, uh, saw a lot of things, did a lot of things, so that was fun. Least favorite? Being away from my family when I was off doing all those things and seeing all those places. <laughs> yeah, good point. Hey, Steve, thanks so much for sharing with us. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Next up, we got Timmy. You good? You ready? Yeah, ready to good. do this? Oh, yeah, ready. All right, Timmy's never spoken about his experience before. It's my first before, time, so. Please bear with me on this one. And uh, fun fact, this old guy over here, Jake Volker, used to be young Lieutenant Volker and was Tim's uh, platoon leader in Afghanistan in 2006, 7, and 8. I was there in 2006, and Jake and Tim replaced my unit, and that's where we were, Kuno Province, Afghanistan. It's like what was referred to as like the Badlands. So right where the K is in Kunar, that's Pakistan, and that's where bin Laden was actually living. Like, that's how close he was. 
right here is where they flew that mission with the SEALs out of to go into Pakistan to get them. So as our first sergeant used to say, it's like, boy, this is where the big boys play. They didn't, they didn't mess around in Kunar province. Yeah, down in the Kunar, man, uh, it's absolutely unbelievable what we went through down there as a 76th Engineer Battalion. We got put with the 82nd Airborne when we first got there at a place called Favzolano. Then we got pushed out even further into Camp Blessing. And that's where the, the combat started for me. We worked entry control point. Basically, our job was basically to go over there and, and support the infantry and build stuff for them. And uh, after it was all said and done, I mean, working at entry control point, I mean, it was 100 local nationals that come in. I mean, you'd start with white gloves and end up with brown ones. I mean, it was absolutely terrible conditions. Unbelievable. And then after that, we got sent to uh, Firebase, Michigan. And I've had probably more firefights than I can honestly ask for to even being a part of this it is was out on the pest so river yeah this this was uh what's that able maine so yeah for us it was common maine, but it was before it was built that's the lumber yard where we right. get all the lumber to build yeah, able maine. actually as you see like the, the the railroad ties right there that's what the infantry were actually staying in they're actually basically like hobbit house that you literally had to crawl through and we went actually out there to place with bee huts and we made it a lot nicer living conditions for the infantry while we was out there Explain a bee hut for A bee hut was is uh, basically uh, we took railroad ties, we put them every four foot, and it was 15 by 30 foot buildings, and then we put uh, sandbags on top of that about three foot, and by the end of it we could actually probably we was able to park Humvees and land Chinook helicopter onto it if you wanted to. They were that strong. It's a pretty common sight while you're out there, huh? Oh yeah, uh, actually uh, at Firebase Mission we had young boys that looked just like Ed. They they run out and get us cigarettes and little things like that and stuff that you couldn't get because you had nothing to, or was it safe to actually go down the street like he was going to Walmart over there, so. And it was like, they were like little mafia bosses. Like, they would charge you these exorbitant amounts. Yeah, they were like, you want cigarettes? $100. Right. <laughs> and it seemed like the, the young boys were kind of, like, in charge of the men. Like, they would kind of, like, tell them what to do. Yeah, that kid, uh, I had to beat him up, man. He took my money. Well, I didn't beat him up personally. I had an Afghan army soldier beat him up because he took my money. Because, <laughs> like, that's... That's legal over there for them to do it, not for us. I, I remember going from uh, Michigan back to Blessing. They would be flinging rocks at us and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And the Marines taught them how to say hello in America with the middle oh, finger. Oh, yeah, middle finger and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we had that waiting on us. Yep. That was always fun. <laughs> Just another one of the villages, right? Like, this is what, I mean, this is what all of the Pesh River looks like, basically. Oh, yeah. Not, I mean, it's just so remote. I mean, but you, you cannot, I mean, it is absolutely beautiful there, y'all. I mean, absolutely beautiful country. Just, they do not like us right now. Yeah, as you can see, it's beautiful, but like, dudes like hide behind those rocks and shoot at you and that. Oh, absolutely. It's not fun. Jake, yeah, you remember this one, right? You remember this road? This is after Michigan, right before Blessing. Like when we're always, so they got that, uh, that river, it's like the retaining wall for the river and it was always overflow. Yeah, it's right around the corner there. That was like IED central because it was always washed out. And that kid's waving at us. So he's like, hey, no IEDs, no problem because I'm here. <laughs> The markets. Remember what those smelled like? Oh, my God, yeah. He, they'd have goats hanging up, and you'd literally see the flies flying off of them. And they would be like uh, like sides of beef hanging up, yellow on the outside, the flies, and it would smell oh, yeah. so bad. And occasionally, man, I'll drive through Pittsburgh. My wife will attest to this. We're driving the windows down, and I don't know if we pass, like, sewage plant or something, but, like, I'll get a whiff, and I'll be like, right. and it smells exactly right. like the markets in Afghanistan. Right. Because, like... Oh, yeah. All this stuff on the road, like it hadn't rained recently. That's like urine and feces and whatever else. Uh, it's pretty gross living. Uh, we got a video of some fun times on the Pesh River. 
So I don't know if you noticed, but at the very beginning, right around here, there was one muzzle flash of one guy. So that's like, uh, that's what you do when one guy shoots at you, right? You shoot everything you got back at him. That's the common response. And then you start dropping explosives on top of him just to make sure you got him. That's, you drive down the Pesh, what, every, I don't know, 40 minutes or so you're going to run into one of those? Oh, absolutely. There wasn't almost a day gone by that we didn't get shot at. I mean, I was attached to uh, Able Company and uh, Battle Company of the 173rd Airborne. And those guys, if we went about two weeks without something happening, they were so on edge that we couldn't believe. Uh, we didn't know what they were preparing for us, actually, after it was all said and done. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know how to even begin or start or explain what actually I've seen and dealt with over there. What well, we say, like... It's the grace of God, and I'm still standing here. You go two weeks, man, and the anxiety... It, oh, absolute anxiety. I mean, what's coming at uh, some point. We have that weapon status, Amber. I mean, the guys would be... They'd have one locked in the pipe ready to go. I mean, absolutely just ready to go at any second. Actually, at uh, Firebase Michigan, we actually almost got overran there uh, one night. It was one of the worst nights I ever had in my life. Actually, I remember calling back and reporting to my lieutenant about what happened that night, and even he couldn't believe it, and... Well, he come to find out himself, too. Yeah. Thank you, sir. <laughs> but you said before, man, it's beautiful over yeah. there. Oh, it's absolutely the gorgeous country. I mean, I just don't... Uh, Not so much this yeah. far. Yeah, that's, uh, that's their Afghani Cadillac right there. <laughs> that's a nice man right there. Just walking around carrying a chicken, just minding his right. own business. <laughs> Nothing to be suspicious about. Not suspicious of that at all. <laughs> Didn't trust that guy. And this is also a common sight. How many times you pass a jingle truck with oh, yeah. 40 Jing guys yes. sitting on top yes, of it? Yes, they will sit there 40, 50 deep easily. Like, I've seen, they, they, they'll, they'll flip them with, that, with so many people <laughs> in there. Absolutely. And the guy driving will hit bumps and like one yep. dude will fall off the back yep. and the oh, guy's yeah. laughing and just keep on, on going. Yeah. And just keep on going. Yep. What are they, I'm sure they're asking for, like, give me Pepsi, give me Gatorade, give oh, me something. they forever asking for Pepsi. Honestly, I think that's one of the things, like when we said Blessing, I uh, actually got to, to actually get the, uh, one of the commanders to actually bring out pops and chips for the guys that were helping us uh, build the brick and mortars. I mean, I tell you what, a Pepsi goes a long way over there for them people. Like, they really appreciate that stuff because it's just, they don't get it, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's just amazing. Like, I mean, look how they live on a hillside. It's just amazing. And like, would you, would you ever walk across one of these uh, shaky-ass foot bridges? If I had to. <laughs> if I had to, but I wouldn't want to. Uh, some of the switchbacks going up there. Would you walk across this no. shaky foot bridge? No, definitely not. Definitely not. It looks like that an Army engineers built that, right, right. Jake? <laughs> we might have built that. We might have built that. <laughs> it's stable enough, right? That's all you need good is to get across it once. Work. Yeah, good enough for government work, right? Uh, it's a fording site in the Korngal, so you know this road, right? Oh, yeah. So that's just switchback up and that down the That is a road way. that you will not get your driver's uh, good driving badge. You will lose your mirror, if not roll down the hillside. <laughs> and as you drive this road, what is the likelihood that an IED will hit you or oh, you'll be ambushed? Greatly, greatly. I know when we was at the cop, we had a one IED that hit when we was actually snowed in. We wasn't able to get nothing. We had nothing down to nothing but potato chips and muffins, honestly, to eat. And uh, LT, he was there. I remember we got hit with an IED, and it was the guy lost. Uh, he got hit in the legs. He's so bloody. And it's, the helicopter come down, and we managed to actually get uh, me, Sergeant Stokes, and uh, Rutledge, and another guy. 
loaded him up onto the helicopter, got him in there, and uh, supposedly actually saved the man's legs. I don't know to this day, but supposedly he was saved from that. And the the TC or maybe the commander of the of, the, of that Humvee, uh, he was actually so badly burned, he looked like a bad cigarette commercial. Like he was actually out there smoking, and he was black as can be from getting hit from the IED. And like I tell you what, it goes from you could be as neat as can be, especially you know how the military is. You roll your socks and bounce a quarter off the bed. But when the combat situation hits, it gets messy. I mean, absolutely messy. I tell you what, I mean, I served with some of the best men and women I could ever ask for. They definitely went through hell and back. So I, the first video I showed was just a couple of pop shots coming and an overreaction. Uh, I'm sure another video here of a typical everyday Korangal firefight. You ready? Roger, I copy. Danger close. How are they danger close to my position? Over. Adjust fire, polar. Over. Do it, do it, do it. Me, 9-2, and Baker 7 are on the same location along the road before Loy Calais, the road between us, uh, Loy Calais and Dallas. We're behind Hesco Barriers. The whole company is basically spread out behind Hesco Barriers along that road between Loy Calais and Dallas. So you can hear the anxiety in those guys' voices as they're trying to call in air support. They don't know if it's coming because getting pinned down is reality out there. Oh, right? that is for sure. If it, honestly, LT, I'm sure you could even vouch for this. If, if it wasn't for the Air Force and the Army pilots, uh, we wouldn't be here because we would have been overran for sure because we were so remote and there was only so many of us out there. I mean, easily, there may be no more than 40 people at some of these bases that we're at. And, and some of the logistics that we go out, I mean, 15 guys, I mean, on just – nothing i mean literally living in nothing and we as a 76 engineer i mean we literally built the Korangal valley of afghanistan and we increased it by what like twenty thousand troops we was able to probably put in there if not a little less give or take or something like that between everything that we did i've told todd this before i think you and jake can both uh you know attest to this whenever you're in one of those firefights and you're pinned down and you hear air coming in whether it be like an a10 uh ac-130 gunship Kiowa, Blackhawk, like, definitely makes you know, you two things, <laughs> you know, you're going to live right. and the other dude's going to die yeah. for sure. So oh, it's like sure. a warm and, and fuzzy on the yeah, inside. And you know, people, you know, when the, the, the Air Force then did their job because there'd be crows 
circling the hillside on the other side of the mountain. Right. So this is like the little improvised LZ at the Corngall outpost itself. Yeah, that's the Corngall. That is like the very beginning of the Corngall. When we got there, there was just nothing about Hesco baskets that. And after it's all said and done, we put two brick and mortars in. And, oh, I couldn't even count the bee huts that we threw in there. I mean, it was back, it was Vietnam style with the tents when we got there. Like nothing but tents and uh, generators. It got so bad when there we got snowed in that uh, we was only down to, actually, we was only allowed to, five gallon cans of diesel fuel so it only gave us about two hours of heat in the morning two hours of heat at night i literally had a laptop that kept my feet warm because we did what we had to do and we did what we did and i had jake on the podcast he brought up a good point man like you guys were really it was some badass stuff you were doing because you get in a firefight like that and as soon as it's over you put your gun down you grab a hammer a saw whatever you get back to work right Right back to work like right in their faces like to smite them like they're uh, not going to stop us oh yeah we've actually had times where uh one of the tents got torn down up too early, and, and we had to go up and do a night mission. And that was, that was sketchy. That was definitely sketchy. It was probably the one time I actually spoke up to my lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as Steve mentioned, he had, you know, he had Iraqi army guys with him, and they're not like the most trustworthy of dudes to have in a firefight. Right. And same with the Afghans, right? right? Got another little video here to kind of illustrate that point. That's a Marine. Effective fire. Guess who that guy is? <laughs> That's John Wayne of Afghanistan. <laughs> when I showed Todd and this no video helmet. earlier, he no said, helmet. like, that's what it would look like if I were out there shooting a gun in Afghanistan with no training whatsoever. So they've got like 17-year-old kids just shooting machine guns at whatever moves, which is concerning, to say the least. Also, another point with the, within a firefight, like anybody's ever been in one, the smell of gunpowder is absolutely gagging after it is said and done. I mean, it could be 15 minutes later on a windy day, and it still lingers. I don't even know how to describe it. For people that may not know, what's that right there? Is that a, is it, is that a P-tube? That is a P-tube, right? That's how you pee in the army in Afghanistan. They just dig a hole in the ground, stick a tube in it, and you just pee into that. And it's like uh, Murphy's Law. Every time you go to pee in it, like a rocket comes in right at that very moment. Absolutely. So you urinate very quickly if that's one of the upsides of it. Uh, But this is like typical. I had a uh, rocket come in at at Solano, and I had to go running across the whole company in a towel. (laughs) Yeah. My worst fear in Afghanistan was like getting hit when I was in the port of John yeah. uh, by a rocket. Yeah, please tell, like, my mama, not please a... tell my mom I was out fighting. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the kind of stuff like when you leave it up to the infantry guys, like they just like, oh, okay, we'll use this random house, throw some tarps right. on it. And this is the kind of stuff that you guys had to go in and like, all right, dudes, like we don't want you to die. So like, let's build some right. real stuff on top Absolutely. of it. I tell you what, the Afghans, they can stack some rocks. Man, can we they? We sent some javelin missiles through there and... The legs were hanging out the back, but the house was still standing. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, got one more video here. Of, so you get, you're there for, did you guys get extended or did you do a year? So yeah, 15 we, months. We, uh, I did 13 months because the way our battalion, the way our company ripped in, they did two detachments, where one left in December and then the other one left in February. I was in February. I was a lucky one. But mine, and my tours ended up being 13 months. But I was three months into my tour, and they said, congratulations, you're staying a little bit longer. I was like, oh, great. So, but it is what it is. I had to do what I had to do. So over that course of that 13 months, you develop a weird sense of humor, I guess, probably oh, to say extremely. the least. Extremely. Uh, and this is, this is from the 173rd, the guys you were supporting here. 
That shit was close, dude. Hunter, what's going on right now? Getting shot at by single shot Freddy. Who's that? I have a feeling he's a blind Afghan man somewhere between the ages of 60 and 75 years old. And uh, he likes to scare the shit out of us with these single shots that he takes. We've been getting real close, so we're all hiding right now. How come you think he's blind? Well, because he hasn't hit anything yet. <laughs> so to our wives and girlfriends, that's why we are the way we are. That's why we say the things right. we say. All right, Tim, so close out, I'll ask you the same thing. I've asked the other guys. What's your uh, favorite thing and least favorite thing about the Army? I tell you, favorite thing about the Army was just getting the experience and the camaraderie with the battle buddies that I met. Like, I mean, they're still family to this day. The worst part, I'd have to say, is watching uh, some people lose their lives, honestly. Like, that's been something that I've dealt with uh, well, for the last 10 years now and still battling post-traumatic stress disorder. And, hey, that's one every day treat like alcohol you know one day at a time thank y'all for having me i lied that was not my last question my last question will you introduce pilots everybody yeah this is uh, my my service dog she's a garden angel medical service dog from florida it's new medicine with va right now with helping with the uh, soldiers with post-traumatic stress disorder and i tell you what she has changed my life y'all i mean absolutely changed it i spent 10 years in my house i've had her about six months now and as you see I'm here today. I would not be here if it wasn't for this animal, actually. <laughs> She's not just a dog. <laughs> I assure you that. And if you guys were here at our last evening event we did here, uh, Wendy from Guardian Angels, that was, that's the organization that gave them the dog. So they're doing great work. Yeah, they are absolutely amazing people and great organization that are really helping change lives. Really helping change lives. Well, Tim, thanks so much for coming out. Thanks for Thank sharing you. with us. Give another round of applause to Tim, please. Oh, thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, brother. All right, pilot, I'll bet you do. Twist my arm. All right, we're out of time. We're a little bit over. Sorry about that, but the uh, conversation was stimulating, I think, so I think you'll give us a pass on that. We were going to get to Guy Prestia because Guy is tougher than all of us put together, let's be honest here, guys, but uh, we don't want him to go last because he'll show us all up, so we'll have to save him for next time. All right, so uh, that's it for tonight, our next event. What's the date on that again, Todd? The date is uh, December 6th, day before Pearl Harbor Day. December 6th. And we'll be asking Guy if he remembers December 7th, 1941. I'm guessing he does. John wants the mic to announce the uh, vigil. Okay, I chair the Christmas vigil for Vietnam veterans, 862. Christmas Eve from 6 o'clock till noon Christmas Day. There's 73 kids on the back of my shirt there that will not spend another Christmas alone. So I'm inviting everybody to come down. So that's down our Vietnam Veterans Memorial, down in Beaver, across from the gazebo. Thank you. Hope to see you there. Thank you, John. All right. Thank you so much for coming. Class dismissed. <laughs>